reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. I, I was rather excited last night as I started uh, preparing, or, or rather I should say wrapping up, not preparing. Um, as I was wrapping up, and sometimes you feel better at the end of a long struggle of, of a message um, that you've prepared, but uh, the end of our scripture reading, uh, verse 19 from Proverbs 6, it says, a person who sows discord in a family. That is the last of seven things that the Lord detests. What is discord? I want to establish that first. And that is, this means disagreement. But it is not a disagreement that I think vanilla is good and Abe thinks chocolate is good. This is more specifically a strife, a conflict, hostility, that kind of disagreement. And regarding the discord sown in a family, do you think that this is referring to your own family? your immediate family, or is it to your church family? Is it really limited to one kind of family alone? Discord in this passage is only one of several things that the Lord hates. And the person who sows discord or conflict in a family, that is where we get the title of our message today, We Reap What We Sow. And that's where we're going to go this morning. We reap what we sow. How is discord sown? How do we sow discord? Is it by the things that we say, by the things that we do, by the sins that we commit towards others in public or in private? Just a spoiler alert here. All sin breeds discord. All sin sows discord. First between us and God, and then between us and others. And although all sin sows discord, some sin does more so than others, especially sin committed specifically against another person. Think of the discord that could happen in an unfaithful marital act where a a complete stranger can be involved, perhaps even a non-Christian, and how one individual, one spouse in the marriage with this other person could sow extreme discord and not even a single word needs to be spoken. Sowing discord does not only come through the words that we speak, although much of the time that is the case. As we know, it's often said, today's social media, the news media, the internet comments and chat platforms They're the tantalizing playgrounds for those trolls, sins of every kind imaginable, and for those who enjoy stirring up uh, arguments and breeding negativity, just the sowing of discord. The Bible has nothing good to say about a person who sows discord. In the preceding verses of Proverbs 6, in verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, Winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord, 
Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Preliminary point one that I want to make you guys aware of here is that it is not just negativity, pessimism, cynicism, and gossip and slander that sows discord. All sin sows discord, both in our relationship with God and with others. When talking about sowing and reaping, if you don't know, and I asked my son this, Caleb, on the way to church, I said, what is sowing? Jordan, do you know what sewing is? It's what your mom does when she gets out her sewing machine. No, she doesn't do that. That's what Caleb said. Well, I know it's, there's like a sewing blanket and stuff. It's okay, I made him look like it was the kids that didn't know. I got you. Sewing is another word for planting. And then there is reaping. I'm going to be talking about this word, both the words sowing and reaping. And reaping is merely another word for harvesting or collecting the crops. So we plant crops and we harvest those. So we can say, you will harvest what you have planted. You will harvest the same thing you have planted. Of course we will. That seems like common sense. It goes without saying. Like, what else would you expect? But yet we live our lives in utter disregard of this truth. What comes to mind when you hear uh, the phrase, you reap what you sow? And this is the interactive portion. What comes to mind? You reap what you sow. Farming. Okay. Treat people badly, you'll be treated badly. Okay. Does the idea of karma come up to anyone? Ah, that's what I was hoping for. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the phrase is an idiom. Some of you guys are going, yeah, I got one of those cousins. He's an idiot. Not idiot, idiom. An idiom is a figurative phrase or an expression about something to illustrate a point. Merriam-Webster says it means to experience the same kind of things that one has caused other people to experience. If you're rude to everyone, then everyone will be rude to you. You'll reap what you sow. Now, the principle of sowing and reaping in every way that we're going to talk about this morning and every way that I know of in the scripture, this works equally in the positive and the negative. But we're almost always used to hearing this with some sort of negative connotation. You got what you asked for. You get what you pay for. You got what you deserved. You got what's coming to you. When's the last time you ever heard of someone winning the lottery and it's like, man, you reap what you sow. It's like, Hardly ever, if ever, in a positive light. But the truth applies in both ways. But if lottery winnings aren't merely the reapings of anything sown, then perhaps not all bad things happen as a result of something that was sown either. Or is it? Preliminary point number two. 
If you sow bad, you get bad. But if you sow good, you get good. Even children can understand this, that if you're rude and mean to others, others will be rude and mean to you. Generally speaking, sometimes people are mean and rude just because they're jerks. But we teach our kids that if you want a friend, be a friend. If you're always looking for trouble, trouble will find you. And that is, even, that is how society works, and that is how the natural world works. Proverbs eleven eighteen: one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Proverbs 22, 8, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. But remember, the book of Proverbs, these are general truths about life. They are not promises or guarantees. Do not preach them as such. Proverbs speak wisdom in, in terms of generalities in that this is the way life typically works. So when we read in Proverbs these statements of reaping what we sow, we must realize that this is only, generally speaking, how things go. The principle of sowing and reaping in the book of Proverbs is perhaps not so much a providential, meaning divine intervention by God, as it is just natural order of life. God has created the world and the universe and set, its, set up its natural laws and order. Even the laws of physics obey this principle. For every action, there is an equal opposite reaction. Cause and effect. This is, in, in a roundabout way, it's, it's saying the same thing. This is the natural rule of life. But there is a greater implication in the Bible to reaping and sowing, and that is not found in Proverbs. In the greater context of sowing and reaping, God does directly intervene and orchestrate the outcome, distributing the fruit to each one of what was sown by them. This we get in Galatians chapter 6, and here it is not a general rule of life, it is an absolute rule. Interestingly, at the end of Galatians 5, we have a list called the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you. But literally in the verse preceding it, it ends with another list called, oh, we don't know this one. We don't like reading this one. The works of the flesh. And immediately following that, at the beginning of chapter 6, in verse 7, we get a promise that we will reap what we have sown. Galatians 5.19. My slide guy's keeping up. You guys are great. Chris and Ryan, they were at my house this week, and you know we went over some of the proclaimed stuff and uh, did some training, and they have been faithfully up there. So all the mistakes and everything you see, yeah, that's them. So thank you, Chris, Ryan, for your dedication here. We got a lot of slides to go through, but it's going to go quick. So Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The works of the flesh. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians reveals that sowing and reaping is also an eternally minded truth regarding salvation and damnation. And you only get one outcome. You can only choose one. You can choose your path or your destination. If you choose your path, you must accept the destination. If you choose your destination, you must accept the path. You will reap what you sow. There are seven points that I want to talk about in our topic uh, this morning, and most of them, I feel, do not need a great amount of detail or explanation. They are not some sort of profound wisdom that I'm going to impart on you. But these are things that you should have realized if you have ever stopped to ponder the ways of life long enough. They are pretty, pretty much common sense principles. Here's the seven of them. To my kids, if you're paying attention, this is going to go fast, so write these down. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap later than you sow. Others also reap what you sow. Not all reaping is from your own sowing. Seed sown privately or in secret will be harvested publicly. The greatest truth of sowing and reaping. Point number one, you reap what you sow. What you sow is what you grow, right? Corn kernels don't grow into apple trees and nor do apple seeds grow into wheat grass or wheat berries into pine trees. You get more of what you planted, and you should expect to harvest what you planted. Don't be so surprised by the crop that you are getting. Galatians 6, 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit, capital S, will from the capital S Spirit reap eternal life. As an unknown person put it, living a life of carnality and sin and expecting to inherit heaven is akin to planting cockleburs and waiting for roses. Jesus talks about this too. In his longest recorded sermon in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, that's the longer version of the Sermon of the Mount, but Luke, he has the condensed, shortened version of that sermon, but he, Luke actually gives us more detail into what Christ is saying about this topic here. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. That's the ESV. Now, there's something here about this passage. This, this is probably one of the most quoted passages in all of Scripture. And always, like, with this King James Version kind of tone. And people always say, judge not, lest ye be judged. You know, I was reminded in a video series, uh, James White, he used this phrase, and I would heard it many times before. You know what you say when people say that? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Twist not scripture, lest ye be like Satan. It does not say, thou shalt not judge. We should not recklessly or ignorantly swing about the sword of the Spirit, or in a case such as this, a false imitation of it, because people are going to get cut in all the wrong ways, right? Know your scripture. 
Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's just saying, just know, however you judge, that's how it's going to be judged on you. Luke 6.37 gives us more detail. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And here the passage leads us into our second point, the principle of multiplication. You reap more than you sow. Furthermore, in whatever your actions towards others, good or bad, it will be given to you in, it carries on, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. You know, how many of you guys, if your wife tells you to take out the trash because it's full, you just walk over, you stomp down on it, it's not full. Press down, make room for more. My kids, when they're dumping all their Legos into their bin, they shake the Lego bin so that more will fit because they all fit in there before, so you give it a shake. Shaken together, running over will be put into your lap, good or bad. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Not only do we reap whatever it is that we sow, we reap way more than, than what we sowed. And that sucks if you've been planting weeds, I get that. Remember the saying, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's the very same principle. As was said, sowing and reaping applies to both good and bad. We are also taught that we reap proportionately to what we sow. The more seed planted, the more fruit harvested. In the context of our giving, this is written to us in 2 Corinthians 9.6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This principle is not concerned with the amount of the gift, but with the spirit within which it is given. Luke 21.1, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, for this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Point number three, you reap later than you sow. Sometimes, most of the time, the reaping takes place much later than the sowing. The waiting is much longer than we would like it to be. Both in when we're waiting for our reward or when we're waiting for that guy who did us wrong to get his. For some things, maybe even most things, the harvest, the reaping, will only take place on the day of final judgment. This is evident and obvious if we look at our life and the life of others and seen so often the cries of people in the Bible waiting for justice to be restored. The psalmist the prophets, the authors of the Proverbs, the disciples, the New Testament epistles. There are far too many examples. I, I cannot list them all here. Even the martyred saints in the presence of the Lord 
They are waiting for the reaping. Revelation 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Even in the presence of the Lord, there are those waiting for the final reaping, the justice, the fairness, the payment, it does not always happen immediately. There are at least five tremendous examples that I would love to read and show you as I was preparing in this, but for the sake of time, I, I just, I won't, at least not at this point, um, where the people have cried out to God in Scripture, pleading with him why he was not giving the wicked what they deserved. Habakkuk, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews the later three in the New Testament, all quoting the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, in the very same context, in the phrase, we've spoken about this before many times, the righteous shall live by faith, and the context is always in suffering, wrongdoing, injustice, and the seeming loud silence of God, and the lack of his injustice, or, or the, the lack, the apparent lack of his justice, as it seems, paying the dues to, to them, those whom it is due, and exacting vengeance on those that it is due, waiting for God to finally bring about justice. And God's mes message to those and to us is, wait. Wait on the Lord. The righteous shall live by faith that God will bring about justice eventually. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Point four, an act of kindness done to another person who gets, <clears throat> others also reap what, what you sow, an act of kindness done to another person, who gets to reap the reward? They do, obviously. And one day you will. An act of evil done to another person, who reaps the reward? They do. And one day we will. More than a hundred examples we could draw here from the scriptures alone to see that our actions affect other people, both good and bad. But I'm just going to give you one. When King David and Bathsheba had their affair and David had her husband Uriah killed, there were consequences. David and Bathsheba's innocent baby died and the baby had nothing to do with the sin of his parents. Nathan the prophet comes to David to rebuke him for his sin. And part of what God says is in 2 Samuel 12, 9, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Have you 
You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. The sword shall never depart from your house. There were ongoing murders in David's family thereafter, and worst of all, these murders were committed by his own family. His oldest son, Amnon, was murdered by his third son, Absalom. And Absalom was killed by his cousin, David's nephew, Joab. David's fourth son, Adonijah, was killed by David's son, Solomon. And these are just a few of what is written without getting into all the other family dysfunction and ancestral rape that was happening in his family. Others were reaping what David had sown. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. This was starting to become a very public thing. In Absalom's almost successful attempt to usurp the throne from his father, which was another consequence of David's, and after Absalom had entered Israel, or entered Jerusalem, and David had to flee for the sake of his life, 2 Samuel 16.20, Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Thus the fulfillment of what God had said to David. And this was also to, uh, another aspect of this was, someone would do this to to sleep with the king's wives, to basically challenge the king. That was what was happening here, another consequence of this sin done so private. David sinned with one woman privately, but the consequences were felt by many people and families publicly. More on this in point number six, but many people lost loved ones in the fighting and the battles that, of a divided Israel in those days. And although David reaped the consequences of his own personal private sin, but so did many others. Furthermore, to point one, we reap what we sow. We may have repented of the sin in our past, but the fruit will still come at harvest time. Even sin that is repented of still has consequences. And just like David, when Nathan approached him, David was remorseful, sorrowful, and repentant. We also see this in his Psalm 51, 
that he wrote because of the situation. And I don't have it up here for you guys, but you can read it. Psalm 51, this is specifically after David realized the sin that he had committed against God in, in his actions with Uriah and Bathsheba. But 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. It was not necessarily David reaping what he had sown. At least not him alone. Even though we are forgiven, some consequences remain, and we can then continue to sow the sin into that same soil with the same seed, or we can do something better called repentance. Many, if not most, perhaps even all of our evil that is sown is impossible to be reconciled into the former state. Rather, we have to accept that we must live life through the consequences of our actions, some of which are more immediate, like David's son dying, and some are felt later on in life. On the upside, though, I leave you this truth. Jesus spoke in John chapter 4 after the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well when the disciples came back from the town with food they had left to go get some food to eat. And they come back and Jesus says, he already ate. And they were confused, wondering who gave him something to eat. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Even in eternal matters, we can at times participate in the reaping of the harvest of another person's sowing. Point number five, not all reaping is from your own sowing. Goes without saying, if we reap what others sow or others reap what we sow, both are true. In other words, not everything that looks like a harvest is a harvest. This is already illustrated, as I said in the previous point. But sometimes we have to reap. And we have to reap the things that other people have sown. And there's, there's only one example. I think this is a grand example that I want to show you here to illustrate this. And that is Job. There are people that would desperately sympathize with Job's unsympathetic friends and try to find indication of some sort of sin or fault that Job had and caused, that caused his downfall. Now, I don't think Job was perfect. I don't think that he was sinless. 
that he, he was without sin, but I don't think that there was a specific sin that caused the calamity to happen to him in a justified manner. What I feared has come upon me. Some say that this is the sin. This was Job's sin. That's why he got all this bad stuff happened to him. Remember what I said before, twist not scripture lest ye be like Satan. Further to the point, John 9, 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples said to him, and they asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Further, proving the point, Luke 13, 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. That is, Pilate had killed these Galileans and basically threw their blood, on, mixed it with the blood of the sacrifices that they were giving. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So how can I know if what I have here is a harvest of my own or of someone else's? or just the circumstance of life. Whose harvest am I reaping that this good or this bad is happening to me? Passages like 2 Corinthians 13.5, they tell us to examine ourselves. Be honest, be humble about your circumstances and about the sin in your life. Psalm 139.23 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We don't always know who planted the seeds, but it's pretty easy to see what kind of seed was sown based on the fruit that we experience. As we read Galatians 5 and 6, it, it illustrates the outcomes the fruit from the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And if you cannot determine where the things are coming from, just ensure that you don't keep receding the same bad seeds and let the harvest pass and look forward to a better one. Remember, God lets the rain and the sun shine on the just and the unjust. Matthew 5:45. But in the meantime, it is the righteous that shall live by faith. This is merely another way of saying, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. Point number six, seed sown privately or secretly will be harvested publicly. This was very evident in the example that I gave with uh, David and Bathsheba. Things become a public display 
a public spectacle. For everyone, the entire world, thousands of years later, we get to know what one man and one woman did secretly. Think of how many times we find out about a scandal of a politician or a celebrity, or worst of all, a prominent Christian leader who thought that they could hide their sin only for it to blow up in public. We see the effects of a person's private and secret life, of what that can have on the public. The families, the friends, the congregations, and the Christian community at large are harmed, and God is ridiculed in the world because of what the Christian has done. Do you sin privately, secretly, because you actually think that no one will find out about it? Or that no one will be affected by it? Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Ever heard of that? All sin, all sin has a way of changing us, of corrupting us in the here and now. Even against our will. It changes our minds and our views of self and others and about this life. It changes our attitude and behavior towards ourselves and others. It often leads to further arrogance or relentless guilt or, and, and condemnation as we, can, as we continue in it. It distances us from God spiritually. You stop praying earnestly or frequently until you become apathetic to doing it much at all. You stop reading your Bible as often, as earnestly as you used to. Who do you think has to suffer that you aren't the man or the woman that you ought to be? The husband, the wife, the father, or the mother that you ought to be? That you can't serve your role in the greater body of the church as you ought to? Who suffers? 1 Corinthians 12.26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Do you believe the words of the Bible are true, that they really are true, and that God means what he has written? When we don't live up to our full potential, we all suffer. There is no personal sin. We all reap together in some ways. Even what is sown individually in private or in secret. Now, on the flip side, Matthew 6, 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners and they, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew six seventeen. Matthew 6, 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Final point number seven, the greatest truth of sowing and reaping. Many things can be said from a pulpit, from within a church, and I have sometimes said that if an atheistic motivational speaker, or perhaps even maybe a Hindu or a Buddhist, can preach the same thing and it still be true, then the gospel has not been preached. And I feel at this point, even in preparing this sermon, talking so much about sowing and reaping, I almost felt like a prosperity televangelist. Like this was something he could preach. Sow your seeds and it will be given to you. But the greatest principle in sowing and reaping is absolute. And it applies to both the Christian and the non-Christian. And there is no escape for anyone. Galatians 6-7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he reap also. God is not mocked means those guilty of sin will not get away with it forever. At best, only until their death will they get away with it. To mock God is to turn up one's nose at him, to think that you can outwit him, that you can sin and get away with it. Galatians 6, 8 For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing and reaping are eternity-minded. It is about salvation and damnation, as I said earlier. And that is what I want to call us back to here. If you have ongoing, unrepentant sin in your life, You need to take care of that. Talk to a sound Christian role model. Talk to them about it. Address this. Do not go to someone who is struggling with the same sin that you are in. We see from Galatians 5.19, read earlier, what sowing to the flesh is and what it looks like. And we know later in verses 22 what the fruit of the Spirit is. But if that is what the fruit is, then what is the seed that needs to be sown to harvest that kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit? How do you sow to the Spirit to bring about the harvest of the fruit of the Spirit? In talking about both His, mine, and your life, Christ says this in John chapter 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The greater spiritual aspect is you are to die if you are to grow. To be made new, you must die, not physically, of course, but of our self-directed life. To bear fruit, the plant must first grow, but for, in order for that to happen, it needs a seed which first has to die. And, and, and in order for us to die, a cross has been offered to us. But I'm not talking about the cross of Christ. 
That one was for him to bear alone, and only he could bear it the way he did. No, to us, our own cross has been offered. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Matthew 6, 27, when Matthew records this, this, it ends this very statement with, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. You can Wikipedia this. The Roman cross was meant to be a gruesome spectacle used to punish the most painful and humiliating death imaginable. And it is in that time Jesus Jesus is saying, take up your cross daily. The cross was an instrument of humiliation, torture, and death. Taken on by the Christian because of the example of Christ, it means self-denial and self-sacrifice because the daily carrying of the cross is by choice, like Christ. It involves shame and humiliation, extreme torture and pain, and eventually death. And this does not sound appealing. But does it look like the lives that we live? And if not, we need to ask why. But we need, we shouldn't stop to ask why alone. We need to answer that question. Why or why not does this, does this or does this not look like my life? Jesus' own words when it comes to the people that are following him, Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now for some of you, let me just clarify here, maybe even to the kids, what is Jesus saying? We have to hate our moms and our dads? No. He is saying, if you are not willing to follow me, more than anyone else in your life, then you cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to, with with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, if any... If any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple.
When's the last time you heard that preached at a revival meeting? At an altar call? Jesus is saying, I welcome all, but consider the cost first. Unless we die to our carnal selves, carrying out the obedience to God, the Holy Spirit cannot work in us to increase the fruit that we are to bear. Perhaps better said is that we are merely the soil and we need to ensure that we are the good soil so God can plant the seeds, water them, cause them to grow and increase as we surrender to him. As will be evident by the fruit of the Spirit. Lastly, my call to us is to glorify God and give thanks to him because of the gospel. The good news, and that is, We sow evil, transgression, iniquity and sin, and all sorts of corruption, and it is Jesus that reaped our death and punishment while we reap eternal life. We all reap what Adam sowed, but we also get to reap eternal life through what Jesus sowed. Let's pray. Father, as we think about these things here, as I think about the truths, I I just pray that these are things that we would ponder and that that we would ask these questions, that we would analyze ourselves, where we are, what it is that we are sowing, what it is that we are reaping, and that we wouldn't just stop merely long enough to ask why, but then also continue to answer that question and to make changes in our life that ought to be changed. Lord, I pray for anyone that is caught here in ongoing, unrepented sin, Lord. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would convict those individuals that you would Give them the strength and the courage to come to repentance. Lord, I pray against the enemy that the enemy would not be able to hurl relentless condemnation on those individuals, but that they may be, that they may come to freedom and and victory and, and reap a bountiful harvest of good that brings you much glory. Lord, I pray. Father, that the fruit of your spirit would ever increase in our lives. Thank you for the treasures of your word that you give us here this morning. Amen.